For our scripture reading this evening, we turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I have in the bulletin, we read the first 25, but I think we'll go all the way to 33, the first 33 verses. Matthew 10. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose name was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workmen is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who it is, who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. 
Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. We read that far, and our text comes from chapter 9, the last verses. We'll read those four verses, 35 through 38, verses 36 through 38 are our text. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And now our text. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is simply a fact that there are few laborers in the harvest, few laborers in particular, in that part of the harvest we call the Protestant Reformed churches. There are at present eight vacant churches, approximately 25%, one in four one-third of all Protestant Reform members are without a pastor. One-third. And the rate of vacant churches and the rate of members who have no pastor is the greatest that it's been in the Protestant Reform churches in the last 50 years. There is no end in sight for this shortage either. For the number of men who are reaching retirement is the same number of men who are presently now in our seminary. Furthermore, this shortage of ministers doesn't even take into account the fact that the ministry, being the business that it is, has a high attrition rate. The shortage of ministers in the Protestant Reformed churches is also evident by the fact that there are a number of matters concerning this at the upcoming synod of the Protestant Reformed churches. There is, in the first place, a proposal being brought to the synod to release two of the missionaries from their labors as missionary in the Philippines to make them eligible for call. And one of the reasons for that, among many, is the number of vacancies in the churches. There is also at the Synod being proposed by the Theological School Committee a proposal that there be a special program to encourage and support Men who do not have the necessary prerequisites to enter seminary and enter them under a special program and even provide support for them even though they have not been formally entered into the seminary as such. That too has one of the reasons behind it that there is a shortage of ministers. There are a number of reasons we could point to with regard to the shortage. One, that we know for certain there is a shortage of ministers of the Holy Gospel because it is the Lord's will. That we know for certain. All things happen according to His will, and it is His will that there be these number of vacancies and this shortage. However, there are also reasons that point to us and concern us. And often the Lord's will is to have us look at these reasons. 
There may be a shortage of ministers, perhaps because of our own homes and families. It may have something to do with the fact that we are selfish and self-centered, that we ourselves can only think about the matters of this world, that we are carnal and worldly-minded, that we think little of the matters of the kingdom of heaven, including the matter of having ministers of the gospel. It may be, and partly related to our own home and the way we rear our children, that our sons, our sons look at the ministry from also a carnal perspective. They see the work. They see the labor. They see the carnal reward of that. And they are entirely uninterested in the gospel ministry and choose rather another profession. There may be the high attrition rate of the ministry. That too is easy to see. The number of ministers who have left or who have been deposed or become ill or have to retire at an early age, that has happened. There also may be another reason, and that reason could be partly related to the other reasons, which is, as our text points out, we have failed to pray to God that He send laborers to harvest in His harvest. Jesus understands the importance of prayer, and therefore Jesus urges even His own disciples, whom He has called to labor in His harvest, whom He has called and sent forth into that harvest, to pray themselves and instruct those whom they preach to, to pray. This is an admonition of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself that is important. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who certainly is Lord of the harvest, this is His harvest, these are His laborers, does not take this position that He will, in one way or another, have a harvest. And He will gather that harvest. And He will call that harvest. And therefore, there is no need to pray that it is an optional thing on our part, but rather urges us to pray. So consider with me that this evening, praying that God send laborers into His harvest. We notice in the first place the great need. In the second place, the urgent request or prayer. And thirdly, the inward motivation. The prayer that the Lord urges us to make concerns a harvest, a spiritual harvest, and that by itself is important. That the Lord here uses an earthly figure, a parable as it were, an earthly figure to portray a spiritual reality. He points us to something earthly, and that about which we are all familiar in order to remind us of something that is carnally invisible, as it were. It's a spiritual matter and a spiritual thing. There is a field. There is a field of grain that is ripe, where the fruits are ripe, and there is a need to harvest that grain into the farmer's barns. It has to be gathered by the farmer. And the farmer refers to the Lord, and the Lord, by that harvest, is referring to men and women and children who are to be saved. The harvest refers to the spiritual reality of gathering unto Himself into salvation those whom He has chosen unto Himself. They are gathered out of sin and out of darkness and out of a world of darkness and depravity unto the light and salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, in urging us to prayer, points us in the first place to the fact that this is His harvest. It is the harvest of God. It is the harvest of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray ye, 
the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. It is not my harvest. It is not Trinity PRC's harvest. It is not the Protestant Reformed Church's harvest. It is not the churches, the Christian churches of the United States of America's harvest. It is not any man's harvest. But it is God's harvest. He makes the harvest. He makes the harvest by choosing those who will be harvested. By eternally, in His good pleasure, choosing out of the whole human race, men, women, and children, to be given to Jesus Christ, to, according to the figure, be harvested by Him. That is, to be saved by His precious blood and the power of His wondrous Spirit. It's His harvest because of the decree, we say, of election. And that, we might see, is also on the foreground even in the other metaphor that the Lord uses, where He speaks of them as sheep who have no shepherd. It is the Lord's harvest because He governs that harvest. That is, He is responsible and sovereign over every single aspect of this harvest. He is the one who works it. He is the one who harvests. And yet, the same sovereign Lord of the harvest is pleased to work through laborers. Even though He is the Lord, He has seen fit to use laborers for which we are to pray. Nevertheless, even when we consider that, and we consider the need for laborers, we must be reminded that they labor for Him. They labor for the Lord. They labor for the King. They labor for the man whose harvest and the Lord whose harvest it is. That's important things for us to recognize at the outset. Beloved, because it refutes a common misunderstanding among us and out there in the world with regard to the ministry and especially missions, which is, this really all depends upon us. It depends on the will of men. And even the work of the laborers in the harvest is to go out and convince men who are told that all really are a part of the harvest, all are the objects of the harvest, that the Lord has died for all, and they are to accept and receive Him by an act of their own will. Necessarily then, following that, or even as a motivation of that, the idea often is that the laborers too operate according to their own will and purpose. Not true. This also guards against the fear regarding the sending forth, especially of missionaries. The sending forth of missionaries is obviously on the foreground here, as was evident from the passage that we read. The Lord isn't merely talking about pastors and established congregations as such, but the sending forth of them. And we then, who live in established churches, and we then who call and send forth missionaries, we who support them, can often become fearful of their work. They are, after all, laboring among the unchurched, among the ungodly, and among the wicked. And they're bringing the same gospel that we hear outside of the walls. And then that gospel goes forth and it calls men and women into the church who are different than us, who perhaps may hold views slightly different from us, or who are immature in their understanding of the Christian faith. And we can become fearful, doubtful, perhaps even question whether that work is important. And so we need to be remembered that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. It is His harvest. It is His fruit and His sheep. Guards also against pride and overconfidence in oneself or the church. Perhaps also discouragement when there is little fruit over or an overestimation 
of what is truly fruit when there are fruits according to our own earthly eyes. Or disillusionment when some of the fruit or seeming fruit shows itself nothing to be but tears or weeds. When the Lord emphasizes that there is a Lord of the harvest that we are to pray to and that it is His harvest, also He is reminding us that this is His one great work. Truly, one may summarize the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one great goal and purpose of all His work is harvesting. The harvest. Here Jesus likens Himself and His Father to a farmer. How many times does He do that? And think now of a farmer. Think of all the labor and the work of the farmer. He must maintain his farm. He must plow his fields. He must plant his crops. He must till those crops. He must weed the weeds. He must fertilize. He must care for. He must water. But all of those things have only one single goal in mind. All of the joys and all of the labor and even all of the disappointments of the farmer concern that harvest. And that is how we must view the church and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of His work, even and especially His work on the cross, His work that He does in and through the church now, all concerns one thing and one thing only, the harvest. Now the Lord tells us to pray and to pray urgently because the need is great. That is what He is pointing out. And the need is great in the first place because the harvest truly, He says, is plenteous. The need is great because the harvest is great, or in the words of our Lord, plenteous. And you have to understand what the Lord means here. First of all, the harvest is great from the perspective of the field of labor in which that harvest is conducted. According to the figure of our Lord Jesus Christ, the harvest is not a few acres here or there. The harvest does not occur in one small part of the world, even in one country. But the Lord makes clear here and elsewhere that the harvest is the world. The harvest is conducted in the fields of the world and among the people, even all the population of the world, in His good pleasure. It's plenteous from that perspective. It's also great from the perspective of the time that this harvest occurs. We might say to ourselves, well, that harvest occurs at the end of time. And surely that also is a figure that our Lord Jesus Christ employs. But here is referring to the fact that the harvest has been going on from the beginning of time. Men, women, and children have been being gathered by our Lord Jesus Christ through laborers since the time of Adam. And it continues until the day that He returns. It's great because it doesn't simply go on in one place, but also it doesn't go on simply at one time or one period of time, or for ten years or a hundred years, but thousands of years this harvest goes on. It's great also from the perspective of the number of persons that are to be gathered. Here too, the Scriptures teach us two things. One is that from a certain perspective, the harvest is small. Small in relationship to the rest of the population. Small with regard to all the others who are not harvested. Small in comparison to the weeds and the tares and untilled soil as it were. Sometimes even small with regard to what considers itself part of the harvest, the church. And the Scriptures have to remind us that often those who are harvested is but a remnant. Certainly Jesus even had this in mind when He looked out over Israel 
and saw that there were scattered sheep all over the place and was reminded of that in comparison to the huge number that called themselves sheep but were really goats or the huge number that called themselves sheep and had no idea that they were lost. Nevertheless, there's another perspective. And that is, regardless of how small seemed to be the number of the harvest or the wheat or the corn that's ready for harvest, it is an amazing large harvest, plenteous. An innumerable throng, we read in some places, more than the sand of the seashore or the stars in multitude. Surely a great, great number to be harvested. The one great need then is laborers to do the harvesting on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the one great need is. And keep in mind now, this is the Lord's perspective as opposed to often what is our perspective. We may have a tendency, perhaps especially especially in the Protestant Reformed churches, where we understand the truth of election, the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ in engaging in this labor. We know His power. We understand something of the efficacy of His grace. And so we say to ourselves, well, the Lord will gather with or without me. The Lord will gather with or without laborers. Certainly my prayers don't enter into the equation. Certainly our prayers aren't all that necessary. But that's not the Lord's attitude. The Lord's attitude to His church and to His disciples is, do you see the harvest? Look out there. Do you think it's going to harvest itself? Do you think I harvest without laborers, without those means? Are you ignorant of that fact? Well, then pray. Pray for laborers. The need is great in the second place because in contrast to the plenteous harvest, the laborers are few. Few. The Lord... The Lord, of course, who uses laborers for this plenteous harvest is well aware of this fact. And well aware of the fact that it's always few. From a certain viewpoint, from a certain real viewpoint, even as the harvest is always plenteous and always great from all those perspectives, one may expect that there will always be few laborers. Nevertheless, we should consider what the Lord is talking about here. First of all, we should remember that the Lord here is talking especially about the pastoral ministry, the gospel ministry. The gospel ministry, especially of those that we call missionaries, those who are sent to gather, to gather the harvest that consists of in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the contents, first of all, the lost sheep. In Scripture, lost sheep always refers to those who are formerly members of the church, among those who were churched, but the church has apostatized, the church has forsaken the faith, the church has left that which it once stood for. The shepherds are no good The laborers have given up on the true labor of their work. They've forsaken the sheep, and so they're scattered all over. And so missionaries must go forth to them. It's worth reminding ourselves of that. Missions is not primarily or exclusively among the unchurched or those who are simply lost out of humanity, among the wicked and ungodly, but also occurs in the church, and oftentimes it's the first step. That's the case with Jesus' disciples. When He first trains them, He says, leave alone the Gentiles, don't go there, and don't go even among the Samaritans who claim that they were Jews. Stick with the household of Israel and labor among those lost sheep. Later on, Jesus would send forth His disciples among the Gentiles, a calling specially 
Paul for that work. Don't forget it also includes, too, then labor within the established church itself. Includes men such as Timothy, who did that work at the calling of Paul. But have the Lord Jesus' word that those laborers are few. And few now, not only in comparison with the, har- with the harvest itself, but few from a number of other perspectives, few with regard to those who actually faithfully labor in the harvest. Here too, we need to be reminded of that. If one would do a survey of how many laborers there are in the harvest, the church would present many, 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 many men. And say, there's all kinds of laborers. Look at them all. Look at all these pastors and missionaries we're sending out. Look at all of them that labor in the Word. Look at all that. And the Lord would say, no, those are not laborers. Those are the same kinds of shepherds that scatter the sheep. They're unfaithful. Depart from me. I never knew you. How many of the laborers, so-called in the harvest, are actually bringing the gospel? Bringing the gospel of God's sovereign, particular, efficacious grace. Who bring the gospel that we are justified by faith alone, apart from and without our works. How many laborers there who even teach the truth of God's election and reprobation? How many faithfully bring the gospel without fear of men? The laborers are few. Few also in comparison to all the other laborers in the church. There are many, of course, laborers in the church. Many engaged in all kinds of work, and certainly work that regards their own person. When you look at all the members of the church, and then you look at those who labor in the harvest, it's few, few in number. Take even those who labor with regard to church matters or spiritual matters, office bearers of various kinds. How many refit the description of the Lord here as laborers in the harvest? And then, if we want to be faithful to the great emphasis of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is upon missionaries, how many of their, how many of those are there compared to all the other laborers? Currently we have three. And soon, if the proposal goes through, we shall have one. One out of all the other laborers we have in the harvest. Take note. The great need is not that there is no harvest. The need is not that we have to pray for God that there be a harvest. We sometimes can take that attitude. Perhaps that's all the missionaries we need because there's not much of a harvest anymore. We don't see a harvest. We're ignorant of that harvest. We don't see a field of labor. We don't know what there is to do. That again is not the Lord's attitude. The Lord's attitude, there's, there is a great harvest, a plenty of harvest. What we need is laborers, and we need to pray for those laborers in the harvest. So, is the need. Plenteous harvest, few laborers, and the Lord says, therefore, pray. And the idea is to pray urgently. Pray in accordance with your understanding of the need. The Lord's pointing out to us that if you truly understand these two facts, the plenteous harvest and the few number of laborers, there's only one response that's fitting. We could examine our own responses in this regard. Perhaps we're ignorant of the fact, so we have had little response. Perhaps we imagine that there is no such great need and therefore there's no harm and hurt in forgetting about this great need or dealing with this need. Perhaps there's no harm and hurt in injuring those who are engaging in this labor or discouraging them in this labor. But even 
if we don't do that, which is very bad. Imagine the Lord sends laborers into the harvest and they're engaging in this work and the entire time we're discouraging, disparaging, minimizing, or even ignoring that great work or above all forgetting that they're laboring on behalf of Jesus Christ as men and only men I might add. Look at the men that our Lord Jesus called. Just look at them. Look at them very closely once. But we can also recognize the need and say to ourselves, well, I know what needs to be done. I know what we should do. This is what we should do. That is what we should do. But the Lord puts before us something much more basic, which is pray. Pray, first of all, God give us men to labor for the harvesting. And pray, especially understanding that's a very difficult work. That's implied here in our Lord Jesus Christ's exhortation to us. Pray. Pray for these laborers that are few and pray with the understanding that the work they do is difficult labor. It's one of the reasons the Lord picks that particular metaphor, even shifting from the one that He started with. The Lord began with a metaphor of looking for lost sheep. And the children of Israel would have known something about that. Looking for lost sheep is not easy work either. Jesus points out it even requires a certain leaving all the other sheep. And then going through the mountains and the hills and dealing with the darkness and the cold and the rain and going to find a sheep. And that all by itself is instructive. In fact, the Lord reminds us of the difficulty of the work there too. There are lost sheep. And you don't expect lost sheep to make their way back. The farmer doesn't sit around twiddling his thumbs and saying, well, eventually those sheep are going to get hungry and find their way back to the feed. That's not the nature of sheep. They just keep wandering and going farther and farther astray. But notice the Lord switches the metaphor. And He switches the metaphor to that of a farmer laboring in a harvest because that was particularly hard work. And in those days, man just didn't jump in a million-dollar combine and start mowing after acre after acre of crops. But he worked by hand in the hot sun. Worked in all the elements. Had but a short time to accomplish his work before it was too late. And such is the nature of this work. And therefore pray. When the Lord says pray, pray that the Lord send laborers. He's reminding us of one reason to pray. That is because it's hard work, and you may expect attrition too. There would be laborers who labored for the vineyard owner or the farmer who would go down with heat stroke, who would walk off the job, who couldn't stand the labor, who had to be fired for failure in their work. It's to be expected almost as it were, and therefore pray. But the work is difficult, especially and mainly because it consists of one thing, preaching the Word of God. It is not difficult because of the hours. It is not difficult because you're dealing with lost sheep. It is not difficult because of even the nature of the work. It is difficult because it consists of one thing and one thing only, preaching the Word of God. That's plain. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ's commission to these disciples. Go forth and preach the Word. That was His last word to Peter. Do you love My sheep? And feed them. Feed them with what? Feed them with My Word. Notice, even with His disciples, with regard to all the work they were doing, working miracles, confirming miracles, all these other things that they were given the ability to do, it all was simply to confirm the Word that they preached. That was the example of Christ too. Now why is that difficult? Well, really two reasons. Number one, 
because there is a temptation on the part of the laborer to bring something different. There is a temptation on the part of the laborer to say there's a different way to engage in the harvest. There's a better thing that's needed, better instruments, better tools, better methods, but that's his own sin and sinfulness. Temptation to bring his own word or a popular word or a word perhaps that he knows won't hurt so much because the word does hurt. It is painful to our own human nature. It's difficult, in other words, because the word is opposed. The word is opposed wherever it goes. That's what Jesus points out to his disciples. That's what he does. When he sends them forth, Look at the amount of length he spend, uh, length of time he spends on that. He gives them other instructions about going forth, what to take, what not to take, teaching them how they should labor. The laborer is worthy of his hire. Let these people among whom you preach support you and other such things. But the vast majority of it is how to deal with the rejection of that word. He warns them they're going to reject that word. They're going to reject that word because you work for the master. They hate the master. They're going to hate you too. Keep in mind the Lord is talking here again in context about Israel. When they go out and labor among the lost sheep, there will be other shepherds. There will be other laborers who don't like the Gospel they bring, who don't like that Word, who will even deliver them out to death. But don't forget, that Word is not received by us by nature. Do you reckon with that? That which makes the minister's job, the laborer of the harvest's job, so extremely difficult is every time he brings the Word, whether it's to himself or to his congregation or to those on the mission field, he knows that just as there is within his own soul, there is a nature that says no. 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 Now, you may think that that don't happen here but it actually can happen more often in the church than it does out in the world. They just simply say no. We say no while we pretend to receive, or we want only what we want to hear. So pray, the Lord says. Pray because of the Word that must be brought. Another thing that needs to be pointed out is exactly what the Lord tells us to pray for. He doesn't simply say pray for laborers. That's how this text is often presented. But notice that's not what he says. Certainly pray for laborers. But what he says is pray to the Lord of the harvest that He send forth laborers. Now, one of the reasons I emphasize the difficulty of the work has to do with that word, send forth. In the original, it's a very, very powerful word. It's the same word that's used in the Scriptures for Jesus driving devils out of people. A word that implies forcefully pushing, sending, driving. Driving is not too hard a word. Force. Force out the laborers. Now what's that tell you? It tells you that no man's going to take up this work. There's no man in his right mind that's going to go out into the harvest. There's no man that really ought to ever say, you know what, I'm looking forward to this. I've done a lot of interviews on the TSC, and one of the things we look for is a certain eagerness, a certain desire. It has to be there because the Lord does send. He drives men out into the harvest. But there will also be always a certain reluctance. There will always be a certain understanding. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I will do anything else. And you say, why is that? And the answer is, because of the work, because of human nature, because of everything else, the Lord must drive the laborers out. Forcefully expel them. Go. Get out there. Go to this nation. Go to these people. Go to that home. Go see this person. Go preach that word 
today or tomorrow. And the Lord is saying, that don't just happen. Pray for it. Pray that God do that. Now God does that, and God does that a certain way. He indeed does call men. Calls men with certain gifts and abilities. He equips them for that. And He uses families and homes, parents, to instill that, to lay that before men. He will stop somebody like Paul, a persecutor of the church who did much injury and harm, who was mad. Stop him in his tracks. Spin him around. And turn him into one of the gospel, greatest gospel preachers history has ever seen or witnessed. Pray also, beloved, because this is our work. This is the great work that this congregation is engaged in. When the Lord comes to us, as He does this evening, and tells you all to pray, tells myself to pray, to pray that God send laborers in the harvest, He's reminding us of one thing. That is our one calling as a church. It's our one job. It's our one duty. It's the one thing that must be before our face day in and day out. It's the must, one thing that we must think about. It's the one thing that we must concentrate upon. And we need that. Because it's easy for us to lose focus. It's easy for us to look over the church and find all kinds of problems, all kinds of things that need attention, all kinds of work that we think needs to be done. And it's all important. It's all important in our own eyes. And we can easily justify all kinds of actions. And some of them aren't necessarily wrong. They're part of the ministry of the church. But they quickly overcome what is really the one job that we have to do, and that even all these other things must be viewed and seen in that light. How much different is our attitude? How much different do we think about our membership in the church when we understand this great need? Do we even think that this is a great need? You see, pray because that helps give perspective. Prayer always gives perspective. It exposes our wrong perspectives and gives us right perspectives. And when you're praying for laborers and God sending laborers into the harvest, it's acknowledgement before God we need them. Without them we perish. Without them there is no harvest. Without them we do not hear God's gracious word of the forgiveness of sins like we heard this morning. Without them the sheep go hurting. So pray. And if we will do this, do this by faith, not mechanically, not simply because we're told to do it, but do it spiritually from the heart and earnestly, then God will hear that prayer. Now, in order for that to happen, there has to be a motive. If we're going to do something from the heart, there has to be a motive. And the motive is not God's whip, God's law, even God's exhortation here. There has to be something internally, something that drives us and moves us and if you ask what that is, we have to look at our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an amazing statement about Him. This is Jesus Christ who is Lord of the harvest. Jesus Christ to whom all the elect are joined. And we read, when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You see, Jesus looked out. Looked out at the sheep. He saw them fainting, he saw them hurting, and he was moved with compassion. And the result was this exhortation to pray and then his sending out the twelve. What does that mean? It means love. His love. And his love which took the form especially of pity, of seeing the distress. Do you ever look at the world that way? Do you ever look out into the world? and see the distress and the trouble, there be, should, should be something that moves us to compassion. That moves us to compassion that says, there's a harvest out there. Let's pray for laborers in that harvest. Let's pray that God send laborers out into that harvest. should ask ourselves, is the harvest only here in the established church? The harvest only here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, or among the congregations of the Protestant Reformed Church. 
Is there not a harvest the world over? Do we not have compassion? Do we not have pity? Even among the church, where can you go in the world today where there is not an established church? Go into every land and you're going to find church. And when you go to that church and you labor around that church, you're going to find there's lost sheep, scattered sheep, sheep without a shepherd. And we should be moved with compassion. Our hearts should weep. They should cry out so that we get on our knees, as it were, almost instantly and said, Lord, Lord of the harvest, please, Lord of the harvest, send laborers. Send laborers not, not simply so that we don't have eight vacant churches anymore. Send laborers into the harvest so that we have missionaries. So we have men that go out to the lost sheep, that go out to the unchurched, that go out and spread the gospel that we love and that we know. Lord, send. Send laborers. Make that, beloved, your prayer, your constant prayer. And may the Lord hear our prayer. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, our God, as those who have been gathered by our Lord Jesus Christ and continue to be gathered, we who have experienced being lost ourselves, who have lost and wandered and strayed many times and been brought back by the Lord Jesus Christ, may we who have an understanding of how wonderful it is to be gathered into the church and be part of His garner and barns, we pray, O Lord, Pray exactly because the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. Send forth laborers. Call them. Produce them. Equip them. Give them to us. Give them to thy church. Send them forth into that harvest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.